Ross and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal. Oh boy, we take part ourselves. Yep, when they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Ross Blotcher. I'm Carrie Poppy, and I'm becoming an exorcist. Me too. Hey. And so can you at the International School of Exorcism. That's my theme song for everything now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Are you willing to give it to Bob Larson? I'm willing to rent it to Bob Larson. All right. Yeah. You're welcome, Bob. Yeah, Bobo. What is it? Da 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 da. Let's see. You're adding like a little bit of a syncopation. You're looking at me like now. You repeat. All right. Well, no, I was asking myself if that was different from what you did. I don't know. Anyway, it's beautiful. Thank you. And that's right. We have taken the coursework. To become exorcists, we've told you a little bit about it in our previous episodes, but now we're in like deep dive mode. Yeah, man. Let's get into the history of exorcism. So put on your exorcism hat, mm-hmm. your student hat. Last time we left off at the end of level one, course one. I know, big cliffhanger. Yes. So let's talk <laughs> big about cliffhanger. Absolutely. Let's talk about Christian and pre-Christian exorcism. Okay. Well, this is module two of level one. Mm-hmm. Apprentice level. Oh, okay. Of you're making the sound like a very long journey. Of the exorcism school. Yeah. Well, they have all these like sort of sub descriptions when you get in there. It's not very easily delineated. Sure. But yes. Yeah, so you're talking about module two within level one. Though to be fair, level one is synonymous with the apprentice level. Correct. So there's going to be 10 modules. And as I was telling you earlier today, all 10 modules basically amount to exorcism's been around a long time. It's not a new thing. I'm Bob Larson. All right. Well, you just summed it all up. I guess that's it for our show. (laughs) That's it for our show. Thank you so much. All right. Um, So the Christian and pre-Christian exorcism part is about how there were indeed exorcisms Before Jesus, even. Right, before there were such things as Christians. So don't be thinking that exorcism is just this new upstart phenomenon. Or that Bob invented it. Mm -hmm. So he let us know that Egyptians, Persians, Canaanites all had exorcism rituals. Yes. Mostly they were incantations or enchantments. There's always going to be kind of a rough line around exorcism as possession Mm -hmm. versus exorcism as a curse that's influencing you, or maybe it's laid upon an object. So there's kind of squishy lines around all of this. I wonder if he would acknowledge, too, that sometimes people did them for health ailments that we would now just acknowledge our health ailments. Yes. Yes? Yeah, I okay. think Bob's pretty aware of that little bit of God of the gaps, you know, mm-hmm. where God, when used to explain things that we just don't understand yet, like lightning, for example, yeah. like when a lot of churches in the late 1700s started installing lightning rods, a lot mm-hmm. of people were upset, like, oh, well, this is going to subvert the will of God. Oh, sure. So. You know, then when science steps in and explains that, oh, actually, it's just charged particles and a quick energy transfer. And hey, look, you know, you can actually take control of that aspect of weather. Then God stops being used as an explanation. Right. That's what I mean when I say God of the gap. So God gets increasingly small in one's worldview. If one defines God based on what we don't know, the more mm-hmm. we know, the less God is invoked to explain. They should make that at the bottom of the NBC 
the more you know, da, 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 the less you need God to invoke to explain. So while Bob didn't use that terminology, I think he realizes, yeah, okay, some things now we do explain with medical science or just the understanding of the natural world. And very late in this game, he'll really get into mental health issues. Yes, that definitely. Although I think he'd draw a hard line around anything that happened during the Jesus years. Everything Jesus healed, it was whatever Jesus said it was. Right. If the Bible says, you know, you were walking on water, you turned water into wine or something else involving water, then yeah, that was (laughs) real legit because the Bible is absolutely correct about everything. I was going to say, is there any area where Bob is not a scriptural literalist? Oh, good question. You know, I feel like even that is always hard to define because some people say they yeah. are. And then as you listen to them describe their beliefs. But like, if oh, you look okay. at this through a certain lens, you'll right. see that at the time they were encoding their under. Yeah. Virgin actually meant. Uh, yeah. There's going to be all kinds of hand wringing. But I feel for the most part, Bob. Pretty literal. Yeah. He doesn't have to do a lot of backflipping to defend his literal biblicalism. So one thing he said that I thought was interesting is basically everybody alive during that time was an exorcist. Mm -hmm. Like It was kind of taken for granted as something anybody could do. If there are spirits in this world, you talk to the spirits. Right. Bada bing. And when you live in that world where everything around you is kind of controlled by the whims of the gods and the demons, you have to deal with them and placate them. So he mentioned in ancient Babylon, you had priests like creating a clay figure of a demon and then smashing it. In Hinduism, you had demons and demigods who were understood to attack living beings. In Greece, you had the Oracle of Delphi, and they were supposedly possessed to tell Mm. the future. Mm -hmm. And he pointed to other witch doctors and shamans in various cultures that have had the equivalent of these beliefs and figures. But he does say that once Jesus came, Christ became basically the only true exorcist because he was the only one who truly had command over everybody. And so the spirits had to Mm. obey his word. And before you were sort of beseeching them, please go away. Mm. But when Jesus comes, he's commanding. He has the actual right over that person's body. Interesting. Apparently, there are even stories that Solomon had the ability to cast out demons Mm. Not in the canonical Bible itself. Same for uh, David. Some of the Dead Sea Scrolls said that he made songs for casting out demons. It's interesting how Bob does cast a wide net as far as what he'll consider as potentially holy writ. Because a lot of Protestant Christians will not consider things like the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Gnostic Gospels, the Mm -hmm. Apocrypha. And I think even he will kind of hold them at arm's length just to acknowledge, well, they were aware of this phenomenon at the time, even if we don't take them literally, if I wouldn't call them scripture as well. But yeah, Yeah. I think he's pretty good at least at keeping an open ear and mind. And he carries around that ritual Romanum. Yeah. Volume two. And he talks about how in Jewish mythology, a dibuk is a malicious or malevolent possessive spirit, which maybe we'll return to at some point in the future. Maybe. Will we? Maybe we'll have Dybbuk's living in our houses. Who knows? Oh, are those those dolls? The boxes that you can buy on eBay. Oh, okay. Of course, in Islam, you've got jinns and genies. And Bob says he's had Muslims come to him because their imams couldn't help. Oh, I'm sure that's happened. I'm sure that happens all the time, Bob. Sure. You know what? Fair point. But he also says some of his most 
frequent or at least very common visitors are Catholics Mm -hmm. who don't want to go through the rigmarole of getting approval from a bishop who Mm -hmm. has to perform the exorcism. It's harder to get through the Catholic Church now. So, yeah, you know what? You make a good point. Yeah, that's different because in the first story, they've actually gone to their holy person and the holy person's not been able to do it, but then Bob does. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, just like we hear the stories about people being thrown across the room and yet he has tons of YouTube videos and I'm not aware of a single one that shows anyone being thrown bodily across the room. That reminds me, I'm reading his book, Rock, Practical Help for Those Who Listen to the Words They Don't Like What They Hear. That's a great subtitle. Thank you. Uh, I wrote it. and That's kind of like the best ratio of four-letter title to full-sentence subtitle. (laughs) It's about rock music and how it's bad, but one of my favorite things in it is he says a couple times... Now, I'm not even giving you the worst examples. There's even worse things. I'm like, why? Why are you not giving me the worst examples? Oh, Did yeah. you not write them down? <laughs> this is what a book is for, right? Yeah, Presenting right? your most cogent case. But it's like, I want to plant the seed of how bad this can get, and then also add your imagination to it. Yeah, that's an interesting tactic. Isn't it? Well, anyway, so yeah, module two... People did this before Jesus, and then for a while, people stopped doing it. And so Jesus and his followers had to sort of take up this mantle again. Yeah. So he, as we've said before, rightly makes the case that the Bible does talk a lot about exorcism and Jesus doing a lot of exorcism. And he says, by his count, a third of the chapters of Matthew, Mark, and Luke have something to do with exorcism. And so he's got this encyclopedic memory for all of the different mentions of exorcisms, but he's right. The, yeah, yeah. The synoptic gospels, not so much John, he may have more to say later about how John kind of hints at maybe the presence of exorcism, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic or seen together gospels because they're so similar that scholars have been able to kind of look at their relationship and say, okay, well, Mark was written first, and both Matthew and Luke were at least somewhat or somehow aware of the contents of Mark Mm -hmm. and added their own flavor to it, but they cover a lot of the same stories with slightly different details, just catching anybody up who didn't go through years of Sunday school. And then, what, 100-plus years later, John comes around? No, he was definitely later. All of these timelines are squishy. It's, It's tricky. All of them are most likely 70 AD-ish, because that's when the temple fell, and then they all made predictions about the temple falling post-dictively. But yeah, John probably, like, now I'm going to get people writing me, but like 90 AD or something like that. Okay. I mean, like, it's so obvious that the first three weren't enough on the Jesus is God stuff, so John was like, oh, wait, I have some stuff to (laughs) add. I'm going to make Jesus seem a whole bunch more holy than he used to. Yeah, I think John is hard to place. Like, it could have been much earlier, too. Because it is so different and it feels like it was Mm. following its own tradition and it starts with its weird little, like, in the beginning was the word word. and the word was with God and the word was, you know, trying to be like a, really, I think I always felt as a Christian, it should have been the first book in the New Testament Uh because it has this kind of Mm Genesis-like refrain. Totally. Poetically, it belongs there. Yeah, what you were (laughs) referring- That's right. What you were referring to is the cessationist- philosophy. Oh yeah, that's totally what I'm That says that these things don't happen anymore. These miracles, uh, right. these exorcisms. So Bob has to deal with these ugh, pesky cessationists mm. who say the time of Jesus was the time of all these miracles and demon possessions. We just don't have that anymore. That's not a thing. Right. Of course he does not believe that. On that I'll I'll side with Bob. Um, I mean, I guess I would say we've 
probably never had those things, but at least there's a consistency there. It doesn't make sense to me that like God talks for a little bit and then is like, now I'm just going to shut up for a couple thousand years, let you do your thing. Right. Yeah. All of, all, all of these fun little, you know, ists and isms all come from people trying to solve particular thorny issues. Like, why don't we see a lot of miracles still happening? Right. Well, let's say, okay. Because we don't anymore. I guess God uh, lifted the veil of miraculous intervention at this point because of this person or this action. Yeah. You know, why don't we still sacrifice animals? Oh, well, the temple is well, taken away from us. Well, we don't anymore. <laughs> yeah, instead of saying like, well, we realize that's really bad and right. it makes no <laughs> sense to just kill animals for no reason. And it makes God look pretty yucky. Yeah, well, he loves the smell of burnt flesh. Loves it. He just loves don't it. Don't we all? And we also learned that in the early church, baptism was considered exorcism. Ah, okay. Yeah, I thought this, I, I don't recall ever hearing that before, but the idea is that as you are getting cleansed, you're also having demons removed, that that is mm. part of the process. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that kind of squares with the pigs running into the water, I suppose. Oh, interesting. Which, yeah, was that incidental or, huh? Yeah, huh. Could they have is easily run off of a cliff or something? Yeah. For people who are like, what? There's a story, and we'll get to it again in here in this lesson plan, but there is a story in, is it Matthew? It might have been in multiple books. I oh, don't, okay. I'm not good at remembering exactly which one it showed up in. The story is that someone who is possessed comes to Jesus. Jesus calls the spirits out of that person's body, sends the spirits into some poor pigs who yeah. happen to be hanging around. And the, probably 30 to 35 and wild the boars. The demon's name is Legion, and it's like 300 spirits that inhabit this whole herd of pigs, and it drives them off. Yeah. What was that? Was it 30 to 50 wild hogs? Oh, let's see. And, uh, not in the Bible. That recent meme. Oh, I don't know. Oh, you don't know the Wild Hogs meme? No, I do not. Internet, can you believe it? He doesn't know the Wild Hogs meme. Oh, 30 to 50 feral hogs. Okay. It's, what do they do? Okay. <laughs> okay, here, here, let's look up Know Your Meme. This is more important. 30 to 50 feral hogs. It refers to a hypothetical argument made on Twitter defending the ownership of assault rifles, which posited that such weaponry would be necessary to combat the, quote, 30 to 50 feral hogs that run into my yard within three to five minutes while my small kids play. So <laughs> someone who was defending the Second Amendment and okay. and having a lot of guns was saying, well, I need them because there are 30 to 50 feral hogs who are constantly coming on my property. And everyone just thought that was so such a funny specific. And he's going to need to shoot them all to protect his child? Who are also in the field and you're probably going to hit? Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> I wonder if it was 30 to 50 feral hogs that Jesus sent those If it happened to Dick into. Cheney, it could happen to you, buddy. Exactly. See? Oh, goodness. And he goes on to demonstrate a bit of this synoptic gospel phenomenon by sharing Matthew 10, 1. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. And then he's got similar verses in Mark 6, 7 and Luke 9, 1 that are almost like word for word the same thing. Lots of casting out disease as well, mm -hmm. which um, it seems like it gets sometimes kind of tied to the idea of unclean spirits and the idea that behind an illness, there can be a demon. Bob will try to untangle this later. Yeah. He had kind of like a little sneaky answer for why Paul didn't write about handling demons and why John didn't write about demons. So for Paul, he said, well, it just wasn't needed. Everybody at the time understood you got demons. Right. So, so why talk about it? Yeah. Ah, I think that's kind of a weak argument. 
that makes sense when it's like, oh, there's a gap in this one manuscript, but it's elsewhere contemporaneously, then okay. And Paul is the most prolific author of the New Testament. He's writing right. churches all the time. My brothers in Christ, I greet you greatly. I have been in prison. You know, yeah. he's talking about all kinds of minutiae. He doesn't talk about demons. Give me a break. Mm-mm. Yeah. I've been to his cell, Paul's cell what? in Rome. Yeah. That's crazy. Or at least they call it the cell there. Okay. This was 2007. And since I've wondered, did they actually know that? Yeah, just like, it just like they have a birthplace sure. of Christ that you can visit, yeah. and uh, yeah. there's a whole tourist industry of these locations. But that's interesting. I mean, and they were like, I "Here's the place where the well sprang up," and they like pointed at a grate. Mm. And when the earthquake happened, here's yeah. where he escaped. <laughs> okay, yeah, I take it with a grain of salt for sure. Yeah. But, but but it was exciting. I wouldn't say cool. it's impossible. Yeah, even so, it's always interesting with like a forgery like the Shroud of Turin. It's a 13th century forgery or somewhere thereabouts, 14th century. Anyways, yeah. it's interesting because it has a oh, history yeah. in and of itself. Oh, yeah. Even- Cottingly fairies, give me oh, some of that. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Totally. And for John, yeah, of course he didn't mention it because he was emphasizing Jesus's teachings. Right. And he left all of those chronological little anecdotal stories to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So, all right, convenient. He's assuming a lot more collaboration between John and the other gospel writers. Yeah, I was always taught that John came last and it was sort of to fill in the gaps of the first three. So, okay. And with that narrative, that kind of falls into place for me. Mm-hmm. He says that similarly, nobody was really writing about exorcism in the second century, just again, because he felt it was so quotidian and everyday. Mm-hmm. You just, you know, you eat breakfast, you cast out demons. <laughs> Why write about it? Boring. Whereas there will be passages that are just like, and then Jesus talked to them, and then he cried, and then he went to sleep, and then he got up. <laughs> uh, he was able to point to some historical figures. Justin Martyr was an early apologist of the second century, he said, for numberless demoniacs throughout the whole world and in your city, many of our Christian men exercising them in the name of Jesus Christ, who was crucified under Pontius Pilate, have healed and do heal, rendering helpless and driving the possessing devils out of the men, though they could not be cured by all the other exorcists and those who used incantations and drugs. So he was able to point, okay, well, look, see, I can point to one person Mm -hmm. mentioning it. So, you know, we can assume everybody else was talking about it too. And then he talked about kind of the transition to when Constantine made Christianity the religion of the land. Yeah, he said it's a big bump for Christianity. A big bump for Christianity, but Bob feels that that actually kind of set us back a bit. That's often the argument that, well, it made us complacent because we no longer had to fight for relevancy and truth. Mm. Now we had power that, mm. that introduced corruption, and that's when exorcism started to kind of go on the wane. Right. So then we get to module three. Exorcisms of the Synoptic Gospels. Yes. Because so, I know what you wanted to know more about. Did they do exorcisms before or didn't they? We still don't believe you, Bob. Give us examples. I certainly can. So, again, as Ross mentioned, the Synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. And in all four Synoptic Gospels, Bob notes that Jesus does exorcism to some degree in all four books, some more than others, but still. He does Mm -hmm. it in all four and also noted a third of the chapters contain some (laughs) reference to Yeah, I think that's Bob's way of getting a a bigger sounding number. Yeah. There's some allusion to exorcism or something related to it in one third of the chapters. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Raise your hand if you know someone who has died of drugs. Oh, my God, it's the whole room. Right. Well, what if 20 of those people knew the same guy? (laughs) Fun with numbers. 
He mentions that uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian, spoke of many examples of exorcisms. That name might sound familiar to those of you who've looked into historical evidence for Jesus and Jesus's life. There are very few extra-biblical sources that actually mention Jesus. Right. Uh, Josephus was one who wrote much later. He was born after Jesus died, but he's one of the few historians who referred to that movement, the followers of Right. Jesus. I am a believer in a historical Jesus. I think there really was a guy named Jesus. But Same here. There's a segment of people who think he's a completely false figure, yeah, just the, made up whole cloth. The, here, the Christ carriers. mythicists, Robert Price. Yeah, and this is part of the argument is like if he had this huge movement, why isn't he mentioned by like Orihen and these other like big mm. name historians of the time? I've always heard Origen. Oh, maybe it is. But yeah, I mean they make interesting points, but mm-hmm. I'm with. Bart Ehrman and, yeah. and most most of scholars kind of yeah. agree on this that yeah there was most likely some itinerant minister who went by Jesus surely he absorbed a lot of the mythology around other people I always say we probably know next to nothing about this actual Jesus yeah it's kind of like a Ned Ludd situation where you know like I don't know that you know, Luddites the people who rebelled against technology and oh, s- smashed oh. all the the looms. You know, there's questions. Oh, like, I didn't know the etymology there. What, okay. Was that an actual person ah. um, to a point where it kind of becomes irrelevant because they're just a symbolic figure of this kind of collected oh, group of stories? Right. Okay. Did you say smash the looms like it was that? Yeah. That anti tech? Oh, yeah. Wow. It was like they're taking our jobs by oh, making these okay. machines smash them. I mean, honestly, touche. <laughs> Although I do love my yarn winder. Your yarn winder oh, oh, yeah. saves you some time. Oh, so much. We are in favor of the cotton gin. That's what we're saying. <laughs> Thank you for listening to our show. So yeah, Bob says exorcism is actually more important in the Gospels than making believers. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Bob. Okay. I mean, that makes sense because more of the focus is on making believers after Jesus's death because that's when you need people to like believe in him because he's gone. So I feel like more like Acts is about where Acts of the Apostles, a book of the New Testament, is more like where we start to hear stuff that's like, and we really need you to go around and talk about Jesus because he ain't here no more. Right. We thought he was going to come back, but he didn't. <laughs> so we better write these books and tell you so you can pass this on for the next generation. I'm sure Jesus is coming back any minute. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah. There, we could really unpack that and how much everybody actually believed that. But that's an interesting point. I think of the time Jesus said... Stop worrying about the poor so much. The poor you will always have among you. I'm here right now. Yeah, one of of Jesus's greater moments. But, you know, like the demon possessed, well, you'll always have them among you too. Yeah, yeah, true. Seems like salvation would be a bigger thing. You know, I was just thinking today, I saw the Jesus quote, if you're not for me, you're against me. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what, what, I read that somewhere and I had heard it a million times. I looked at it and I was like, that's a cult leader. That's Trump's email list. I want to say that's from one of his parables, but still, you know, okay. they're supposed to be indicative of what he thinks right. re- real leadership is. That's scary stuff. No one should be saying that to you. He who is not with me is against me. Yeah, jeez. Jeez, Jesus. And whoever does not gather Jesus with crazy. me scatters. Yeah, yikes. Well, anyway, we don't know if he said those things, so if you like Jesus, it's fine. Whenever I ask people, what do you think is the most compassionate story of Jesus? Mm-hmm. Like, what comes to mind when he was being the most loving and caring and forgiving. Mm-hmm. What comes to your mind? Woman by the well. That's a good one. Okay. Letting kids sit in his lap. 
That's also a good one. Okay. Another one is the forgiving the woman who they were going to stone. Yeah. In mm-hmm. John 8. And now, if you look in your Bible, it, most versions will tell you that this is an interpolation, that mm-hmm. as they found earlier copies of John, they realized that, oh, this chapter didn't exist with that whole story, oh. which is only seen in that one book. Mm. I always say, you know, that was kind of Jesus at, you know, his best, mm-hmm. telling them that he who has no sin casts the first stone. And... Most Christians will agree, you know, if they know something about the origin of these books. Yeah, this wasn't an original story. It was added later. I'm sure a lot of people, though, would say Jesus was at his kindest on the cross. Fair. Okay. So, yeah, exorcism was basically proof of Jesus's power in these stories. And as I mentioned before, I'm just going to, Ross is sitting with his mouth absolutely agape, and I'm just going to continue with my stupid sentence. Oh, shit, Carrie. As I mentioned before, uh-huh. Jesus had actual command over these spirits instead of just asking them to leave. What's up, Ross? You look a little shocked. Yes. Okay. I was looking up this passage that you just mentioned, that whoever is not with me is against me. Yeah. That was from a little sub section of Matthew 12 called Jesus and Beelzebub. This was related to exorcism. This, oh, okay. This quote. I'm reading from the NIV because that just happened to be what I clicked on. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons, which is interesting saying, oh, you must be filled with demonic force if you can drive out demons. Hmm. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. And he goes on and then he says that whoever's not with me is against me. So never mind, wasn't a parable. parabolic. (laughs) Right, oh, wild. (laughs) Wow, okay. Yeah, that's an interesting point though because that does suggest that even in Jesus's time, exorcisms were also being performed by witches. Mm-hmm. If you could say stuff like, "Yeah, oh no, that just proves he's a demon. Right. That really muddies the water. Yeah, I mean, and I guess that's a fair conclusion or thing to at least consider when you don't see exorcisms happening all the time. Yeah. Or the people who do them are witches. Bob likes to describe Jesus's approach as power encounters. Yeah. So he's expelling them forcefully, saying, get out. They're jumping into a, a herd of swine or something like that. So he's not just laying down incantations or making spells or something like that. I have a question for Bob. Yes, Carrie. You have a better memory for this stuff than I do, so maybe you'll know. Has anyone ever asked him if he has been possessed? We mentioned this in our live show. Oh, we did? Okay. And I've put it on my list of things we need to ask Bob. Okay, good, good, good. If we get the chance. Did we just unanimously think of that on stage? Yes. Oh, okay. Good for us. (laughs) Yeah, good for us. See, we always think of it at the wrong moment. (laughs) I'm guessing he would say yes. Interesting. I think he'd say no. Because I would think that he would believe he has ancestral spirits. Yeah, that's possible. That's possible. But I would like to know. It's kind of like David Miscavige. He's not a practicing Scientologist. But you always wonder, well, who gets to audit him? Mm -hmm. Who gets to exercise Bob? Because I don't think you can self-exercise. Yeah. Really interesting question. How many, me? How many? What do you mean David Miscavige isn't a practicing Scientologist? He doesn't actually go through services. Oh, really? Yeah, I've, I've, everybody who's been close to him oh, says that. okay. Cool. He, he doesn't act like a believer himself. Uh-huh, right. That's the head of Scientology right now, listener. So, module four? 
he goes over a lot of just verses that he calls out just to let us know every time a, a demon is mentioned. But this is interesting. He points out in Mark which contains the Great Commission, Mm -hmm. this is a big deal for Christians. This is the reason why Christians want to tell you about Jesus and wonder whether you found him. Yeah, the Great Commission is uh, your assignment. Hey, now go out across the world and tell people about me in Winsouls. Yeah, that is the reason why we... Look at me saying we, (laughs) why Christians are evangelistic Mm -hmm. typically, because yeah, like for Jews, Judaism, there's nothing that tells them like, yeah, go out and convert people. Right. You have to come seeking it essentially and, and go through kind of a lot of work. So yeah, in Mark 16, it says, and he said to them, just like Carrie was saying, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. So, creature. so we're used to seeing just that first clause kind of written up in big letters behind the pulpit. Yeah. Because uh, it's a big organizing principle for Christians. Keeps you busy. But this is interesting. If you keep reading, it says, And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. Oh, yeah. I remember hearing that. So, yeah, that's like connected to the Great Commission. In my notes... I had a a reaction here. Bob says, in Mark's presentation of the temptation, that's when Jesus is in the desert being tempted by the devil. Yeah. There's so many references here that I just assume everybody will already know about, like the Great Commission. Apparently, from reading Mark's presentation of that interaction with the devil, he says there's no concept of total defeat of the devil. He can be thwarted, he can be confronted, but he can't be terminated. He always lives to fight another day. Hmm. And I wrote in my notes... But why? (laughs) Sure. Like, why? Yeah. Okay, so the devil's bad. He's causing lots of harm and confusion and anger and turmoil and... God knows about it. And all of these horrible things. So why doesn't God stop him? Uh-huh. Well, the well, answer he's is... going to. He's going to. Yeah, but why not now? Yeah. Like, are right. you waiting for a certain number of humans to live? What, what's the right number? 144,000. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, more than that have lived. More than that, go to Disneyland. You need you need that many true believers. Uh, I'll define that however I want. It's Thank just you. so bizarre. Why? Why draw this out? And it's like, well, you need this period of grace and choosing God. Well... Why? Like, (laughs) is there something wrong with heaven? Is that not a good order of things? Right. That's such a bizarre... This is kind of like the meta-narrative that I'm complaining about right now. (laughs) This was an interesting claim. Apparently, when Jesus arose, he was asleep in the boat, and they're like, hey, Jesus, you know, the boat's rocking. There's a big storm. Yeah. Can you stop this? He got up, he rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, peace, be still. Right. And of course, that worked. So Bob points to that word in Greek being the one that was the same used in Mark one twenty five, the first Which exorcism. Which word in the sentence? Uh, rebuke. Oh, okay. Is the Greek tamaso. So he said, He's essentially, delicious. he was kind of exercising these demons causing the storm. Oh, right. That seems possible. Okay. Yeah. You heard it from Gary. <laughs> that Very seems plausible. possible that he meant that. That they believe that, right. Or whoever wrote that meant that. <laughs> and very plausible that Bob said that about Yes. <laughs> I believe <laughs> Ross. I put my faith in Ross's account of what Bob said about what the guy wrote down about what Jesus said. Oh, here we go again. Uh, I believe that you believe that I <laughs> faithfully represented Bob's statement about the initial author's intention in connecting this to... Oh, geez, stop. Uh, By the way, listeners, as we record this, there's 69 days left of the Trump presidency. Woohoo! 69. Yeah, how long is it after the actual election and Trump has still not conceded? 
Uh, Over a week. A billion days. Oh, a week. (laughs) Lots of stories here. Yeah, he walks us through a lot of different stories about demons. But I'm not totally persuaded that exorcism has always existed. So can you give me another module about that? Uh, Yes. For that, we have New Testament exorcism. Oh, module four, a classic. Did you know a third of the chapters of the Synoptic Gospels have references to exorcism? Oh, no way. Did you know that also a third of the angels left heaven with Satan and became demons? Coincidence? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, probably. Is that true? I mean, I, I, okay. (laughs) Is that actually, is that biblical? Well, okay. Well, we will get into this in a later module, but Bob believes that. Most Christians believe that. There's kind of a poetic passage uh-huh. that refers to a third of the stars falling. Oh, you know, okay. And it's taken to mean, uh, it's actually referring to Lucifer to being cast out of heaven and a third of the angels following him. Okay. Of course, I knew that the demons were fallen angels, but I didn't know. I had never heard that third bit. Though, according to that one online psychic that we talked to, there's mm-hmm. only, what was it, like a handful of angels? Oh, that's right. It was like a fixed number. It was like ridiculously low. like 50 low. or something. Yeah, or even less. It yeah. Was like, yeah, there's like six angels. Yeah, like, yeah, what? yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking now, about? Now this sounds absurd. <laughs> yeah. My mythology is better than yours. <laughs> what are you doing messing with it? So in here, this is definitely one of those methinks thou doth protest too much modules for me. Okay. So he spends a lot of time talking about how certain books don't mention exorcism in the Bible, Mm -hmm. in particular Peter, James, and Hebrews, Mm -hmm. which are placed in such a way that you would think they would. But don't let that deceive you, Ross. Okay. Because those books do mention resisting evil and Bob's going to shoehorn in that that probably meant exorcism because okay. that was part of the cultural understanding of resisting evil. Okay. R- remember what we said. Everybody was dealing with exorcism all the time. So these are just code words, dog whistles for exorcism. Right. In a way, its absence is proof of its presence. <laughs> Which is a conspiracy theory logic. Mm-hmm. But okay. That's all I have to say about module four. Of course, anytime that he does find some non-gospel passage that does refer to demons. He's very excited about that. Like 1 Corinthians 10, 20, the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. You can't sit here. (laughs) You're already sitting at God's table. This is my child on the Forrest Gump bus voice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sights taken. Yeah, that's it. But the longer I speak in any sort of put-on accent, the more it just becomes some other accent that doesn't make any sense. That's about how I do accents, too. Okay, cool, cool, cool. One time, I was in Guatemala. and In band camp? (laughs) No, just on vacation. And I was trying to get back to my hotel, and I heard a guy speaking English, and I needed some help. So I was like, oh, pardon me. I I think I heard you speaking English. He's like, yeah. I was like, oh, trying to get back to such and such. Can you help me? And so we started walking together. And he said, so I take it from your accent, you're American. And I said, yes. And I <laughs> I take it from me. <laughs> Uh-oh. I take it from your accent that you're Irish. And he said, what? And I said, are you not Irish? And he said, I have never heard that. I'm Australian. <laughs> <laughs> so 
Angel's young and my detection of accents is. From his Australian brogue. <laughs> it's like I've never in my whole life had someone say that to me. You know, maybe it was just the odd surroundings, you know. You, maybe. Your defenses were down. I like that Bob mentions here that today some Christians believe not all witchcraft, such as Harry Potter, is bad. Oh, da da da. So I think, but it is. I think we know where he comes down. On oh, Harry Potter. I'm sure of it. I'm going to tell you a little later in this episode about that rock music book. Oh wow! <laughs> I can guarantee he doesn't like Harry Potter. My nieces and nephew, there are certain things that they're not allowed to watch uh, or read, and of course, Harry Potter is one of those. Oh, I, I shouldn't say of course, but they are. And when my niece came to stay with us once, she just wanted to look at the Harry Potter movie covers. Oh. <laughs> and Kara said, sure, okay, that's fine. Oh, look yeah, at them. that's sweet. Oh. Are these the nieces and nephews who I accidentally said fuck to like four times at your birthday party? Correct. Okay, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so Bob kind of goes through just the rest of the New Testament, but it only takes one module because there's so few and far between these references. Like yeah. he can point to James 2 and 19 and say, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. And Bob says, look, they're even describing an exorcism. That's what demons do. They tremble. Mm-hmm. Chihuahuas too. And that was written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. Oh. We say half-brother because, of course, we know Jesus wasn't actually the son of Joseph. Yeah, come on. He's the son of God. Even though the genealogies given in the Bible that conflict with each other painstakingly take us from, in one case, Adam, in the other case, David, all the way to Jesus through Joseph. And it's like, I think you forgot. He's not (laughs) supposed to actually be the son of Joseph. Oops. Plot hole. Raised by adoptive parent. Mm, mm Mm-hmm. Very important that we give these conflicting genealogies to get us there. James 4, 7, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So, you know, it's there. Yeah. The, the New Testament good does enough. believe in the devil. Good so. enough for government work. Uh, so thank you, Bob. You've convinced us. Nope. I don't think I have. I'm going to hit you with it again in module five. Though I was hoping right now at yes. this moment. Yes, Ross, you, is it? Yeah, I'm Ross. Good memory. I was hoping you could tell me about how to save money online when I purchase things. Oh, I have no idea. Well, why am I talking to you? (laughs) Oh, you know what? Actually, now I'm remembering. I actually do have a really good suggestion for you as far as the saving money online thing. Oh, I guess I'll stop packing up my stuff. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Stay here because there is a great application called Honey. Honey? Yes. Oh, like the food? The delicious Yeah, like food? the bee throw up. Yeah. Yeah, mm, yeah. Because, mm, mm. um, <laughs> you know, these days it feels like online shopping is like the only shopping we do. That's where today's sponsor, Honey, the free browser extension that scours the internet for promo codes, comes in. You get Honey on your computer for free by going to joinhoney.com slash oh no, and there's just two little clicky poos. And you got it. Oh, my goodness. And when you're checking out one of its over 30,000 supported sites, Honey pops up, and all you have to do is click Apply Coupons. Oh, my gosh. And then if Honey finds working codes, it'll apply the best one to your cart. I've done it myself. I do it myself. I save money myself. That's amazing. You can get Honey for free today at joinhoney.com slash oh, no. That's joinhoney.com slash oh, no. And yeah, it really is that easy. Like you're just on a site and all of a sudden honey pops up and it says like, hey, wait, we're going to try to save you money. Yeah. Oh, thank you, honey. 
it will become your spouse. You'll be talking to your browser plugin like, honey, I'm home. Mm-hmm. But yeah, then it just says like, oh, we're looking through. We're checking to see which ones work and which one is the best for you. And it automatically applies it in your shopping cart. Very cool. You will love it as much as you love your life partner. Maybe more. If you're deeply unhealthy. Anyway, also, what if you wanted to make a website? Oh, I would love to make a website. Oh, God. I just love surfing. You know, a dream is just a great idea that doesn't have a website yet. That's what I always say. And you can make that dream a reality with Squarespace.com. Oh, Squarespace. That's where you can create a beautiful website to, uh, I don't know, blog or publish content. Yes. Promote your physical or online business. Mm -hmm. Or even announce an upcoming event or special project. Maybe you have an event coming up in like the year 2023 and you want to advertise it now. Mm -hmm. That or other things you can... Go to squarespace.com, make your own website, and it gives you access to beautiful templates created by world-class designers. Mm, Chef's kiss. Powerful e-commerce functionality, also known as selling things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) A new way to buy domains and choose from over 200 extensions. Whoa. I wonder when that new way is going to become just the way. Oh, right. Because it's been new for a minute. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. That's a whole extension of extensions. Oh, extension in a different way. They've extended the number of extensions. Oh, is that right? I know back in the day, you could only get like .com, .net, .org, and it was like a big deal when you could get .biz. And then when they released .horse and like everybody rushed it, it was so hard to get one of those. Uh I like barely got in there. And you get 24-7 award-winning customer support. And my favorite thing about Squarespace is you can go there, you can start building a site. Just like play around with the tools and nobody's even asked you for money yet. And you're like, what's going on? Who am I cheating? Uh, (laughs) You know, you just try it out and you're like, I like this. And the site is coming together beautifully. Then, ah, ahaha, now you make your purchase and just make sure to use that code. Oh, no. So check out squarespace.com slash. Oh, no. For a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code. Oh, no to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. And that can be some serious change. Oh, yeah. That's squarespace.com slash oh no. Okay, what's module five? Module five is biblical exorcisms part one. Oh, we've got a four-parter coming. Okay. So here's where he's going to go through specific exorcisms one by one performed by Jesus and see what we can learn from it. Yeah, start to do a little bit of exegesis. And not Jesus, Jesus. Right. G-E-S-I-S, not Jesus. Not exit Jesus. <laughs> right. Hmm, I feel like there's a good use for that pun. Yeah, right? Uh, exit Jesus. Okay. okay. I have a thought. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, this is pulling lessons from the text. And if you haven't been exposed to the Protestant Christian church, they can preach entire sermons on one or two verses. Oh, absolutely. On a word in a verse. Yes. If you're Melissa Scott, a letter in a verse. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so this is... Uh, hermeneutics, exegesis, there's this whole process of just extracting painfully endless messages out of one verse. And so you wonder, how can you really base just centuries of thought on one book? Well, that's how. That's how. That's how. And if you look at the root word here, it actually means this, which is slightly different than what you were thinking. So let's talk about that difference for an hour. Yeah, which is sometimes interesting. Yeah. And other times... Just 
grasping at straws. Yeah, I am the worst person to critique how interesting such things are. Because <laughs> if anyone can find it interesting, it's probably me. But I see what they're doing there. Yeah. And some people are better at it than others. Melissa Scott can make that shit dull as it can possibly be. And Gene Scott, even worse. Mm-hmm. This was interesting because often when people say, what was the first miracle of Jesus? They, of course, say... Water to wine. The wedding at Cana, exactly. Yeah. So Bob might take issue with that because he says miracles and exorcisms should not be separated. Exorcisms are miracles. Yeah, I mean... Agree. Yeah. Yeah. Agree to agree. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. In fact, if I could sense any paranormal phenomena attached to an exorcism, Mm-hmm. That would qualify for the $250,000 challenge. Absolutely. Yeah. Ross is on a committee that gives money to people who can prove their paranormal abilities. So, so far, no one's gotten it. Yes, the CFIIG. So he makes the case that Mark 1 tells us about a demon-possessed man in the synagogue at Capernaum. A spirit came out of the man who yelled at Jesus, and that was actually the first miracle performed by Jesus. Yeah, I kind of buy this. Take that, wedding. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I've told you this, Ross, before, but just for a listener who might not have heard it, because I think it's so exciting, the Louvre Museum in (laughs) Paris has a picture contemporary to Jesus's day that was a magic trick that you would pour water in one side and wine would come out the other. I've heard about this from you, um, (laughs) but I didn't know it was at the Louvre. I believe it's at the Louvre, but also, I don't know, it might have moved by now. You know museums, they're like, you give me this and I'll give you that and I'm going to press it to them and then they'll take it there. I mean, it's like they're chain letters. Totally. Yeah. Give me a Louvre large enough and I'll move the world. That's what I always say. What is that? Classic statement. Give me a lever large enough and I can move the world. Oh, no, I never heard that. It was, I'll get it wrong, but it was one of the great, you know, thinkers uh, talking about the basic tool of a lever. Oh, God, I miss the day when we could just make up sayings about levers. What a simple world. Archimedes, he said it. Oh, oh, great name. Someone should name their kid Archimedes. Yeah. Modern Archimedes? Come on. Totally. Archimedes Jones? I'm going to see if I can talk my wife into having another kid and be like, hear me out. We could name him, if it's a him, Archimedes. Or or her. Yeah, we can name her Archimedes. Yeah. Or if a person turns out to be a gender non-binary. Actually, it'd be a great name for a gender non-binary kid. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Archimedes? Do you want to call Kara right now and run this? (laughs) Just kidding. Okay, he's doing it, folks. I'll I'll text her. Okay, text her. This might work better by text. I'll I'll keep going. I'll vamp. Okay. I said, if we had another child, we could name them Archimedes, eh? And she said, um, no. Oh, Kara. Kara. Ugh. Wait, now she's typing something. All she has to do is bake it in her body. <laughs> Come on, nine months and you've got an and Archimedes. And push it out. Yeah, exactly. God, <laughs> have a little team spirit. <laughs> okay, who knows what she's cooking up. Children. She's still typing. Oh, she said, if we get a pet owl, Sure. Oh, might be dangerous for your cat. She makes a uh, fair argument here. Okay. But yes, uh, tell me more about the man with an unclean spirit. Well, one thing that Bob mentions is that the man with the unclean spirit Mm -hmm. probably went to this synagogue often Mm. because everyone's acting like, oh, yeah, we know this guy. But all of a sudden, he's talking all weird. So it seems Mm. like he's having some sort of like mental episode or I don't know, talking out a turn a lot all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. So then when Jesus casts it out, he's all better again. He's back to being 
typical Joe. Oh, that's right. And he was saying that something like bitterness can let in a demon of rage. Wow. So maybe that's what was happening. So he was doing a little bit of his Dr. Phil thing, like, let me kind of paint this scenario how I think Mm. it went down. Oh, okay. Interesting. Bob does tell us in that context that there can be many demons lurking within. Mm. So sometimes the demon you get isn't going to necessarily be the chief demon or the most powerful. Right. It's going to be whichever one the urging of the Holy Spirit has pushed to the fore. Oh, right. Okay. So that's why Bob says you always want to try to expose the demonic system within. Ah. And that's that's why he may, you know, shout at you some of these catchphrases of his. Interesting. I didn't retain this, but I kind of like that thought, just systematic, because I've worked at organizations where this happens, Mm. where it's like, oh, really difficult interview? Let's not make the head of the group have to take this. How about this sort of middle management individual who's good at interviews, but also can be the fall guy if needed? Okay. You go take it. Meaning Carrie. Sometimes, (laughs) but lots of of people were on that level. Oh, okay. Yeah. And Uh, we'd just be like, now you have to go on national radio and do this. Yeah, let's see how how well this Bob guy does. Right, right. Uh, You go for it. Jerry. You haven't done this in a while. (laughs) I was trying to think of a demon name. Yes, Jerry. (laughs) Can't think of a better demon name. (laughs) This is interesting. Related to that, Bob says that he never declares anyone absolutely clear of all demons because there may be others. Mm. And we've witnessed this because we've seen the same person exercised multiple times. Actually, when I went to that info session, Bob told a really interesting follow-up story about that woman that we saw exercised, and we Mm. found out later she'd been exercised before. Yeah. It's so weird that they can be exercised again because he has the demon swear with him, you know, I go to the pit. Yeah. And like, it's honor bound to go to the pit. And yet- They come back, I guess, with a different demon? Yeah, it must be a different demon. So he was talking about her because he asked me like, oh, how did you find out about me? And I said, oh, we went to that previous one. He said, oh, yeah, her. Um, Actually, I ended up performing her wedding. Whoa. I was trying to think of the order in which to tell this. But he performed another exorcism on her. At her wedding? At her wedding. (laughs) That's what she said. Oh, my God. And then he said, and minutes later, I was conducting their wedding. And he's like, I've never done that before. I wonder (laughs) if that's true. What? I wonder. What the hell? I wonder if that was just made up on the spot for you. Maybe. Uh, He was telling a very small group this. But then he he said that she now is interested in pursuing the ministry herself. Well, we got to find her. Yeah. Did we ever find out her name? I'll find her. I think we had her name at the time. Assuming it wasn't a pseudonym. Okay. He gives evidence for that in in Mark 1, that same demoniac, man possessed by a demon. I don't know if it's appropriate to refer to someone as a demoniac. A man containing demons. Mm, I want to use the acceptable language. I I don't know that they have a preference, but yes, good to know. (laughs) If there's any demoniacs out there, let us know your your preferred terms. But they responded, leave us alone. And what do we have to do with you? Same with the Gadarene demon. That's the man who had the Legion demon that ended up in all the pigs that also said, leave us alone. So there you go. There's many. Yeah. They speak of one accord. Another fun thing Bob said, he asked, why are we so successful and covered by the media, referring to his ministry? Mm. It's not because we have the best apologetic arguments or the smartest. Probably not. It's because we show the power of God over evil. Uh, Yeah. Okay. You know what? He's right. 
I would say it's because you're performing exorcisms. <laughs> well, yeah, but they would say that's the same thing. Okay. Okay, so module six, biblical exorcisms part two. Pardieu. So in this one, we have the Canaanite woman with the possessed daughter. Okay. So Matthew 15. This is an interesting one because the daughter's not present. The mother oh. approaches Jesus. This is my reading of it anyway. This is the mother, in absentia. Right. The mother approaches Jesus is like, oh, my daughter needs healing. She's possessed. We don't get much detail about why she thinks she's possessed, but it's just taken for granted that that's correct. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus is like, I don't know. You're kind of bothering me in the middle of my thing. And then she's <laughs> like, please, I really believe in you. And he's like, okay, go home and you're going to find that she's healed. I believe your expression of faith, it is right. healed your daughter uh-huh. yeah and then she's like yay and then she goes home and her daughter's healed mm-hmm. and i was thinking okay well if these are all supposed to show us what we can do by harnessing jesus's power mm-hmm. then can't we just cure everybody drive out all the demons right now if we can do it without them being here oh right can't i just be like demons out of all the people please unleash this massive power of exorcism that's like electromagnetic pulse that just like takes yeah. out all the demons everywhere. Done. Boom. It's like uh, when it's, I interviewed Kimberly Meredith, I was like, well, okay, so you can kill people in groups? Why don't you just go down to a hospital? Yeah, like, yeah. I don't know that I should, but. So you're saying God can destroy Satan, so why doesn't he do that? Yeah. Same thing. Just do it. Yeah, do, do it. Just undo it. Do it right now. You can do it. You can do it. Do it. Just do it. Yeah, and remember we covered earlier that greater things than what Jesus did would be done by his followers. Right. So, yeah, do it. Just do it. Do it. But also, I kind of love this move by Jesus in a way. Like, he's Hmm. talking, he's teaching. Woman comes out of the audience and Mm -hmm. is talking to him. Oh, that's so annoying. He's like, oh, yeah, you know what? I did it. It's all done. If you leave... And you go home, you're going to see I already did it. You're going to love it. And no one will ever know if that turned out to be true right, or not. Right. Then you just move on because you're a fucking itinerant preacher. But yeah, who, who verified who checked? It? Did he say like, Nathan, go follow her home. Exactly. Let us know what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell the stenog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Make it, sure this goes in my bio. For- <laughs> right. Again, we have to ask, who told this story? For Bob, it was very clear that this was the story of a generational demon. Right. So it had afflicted this woman and now her daughter. And so maybe it had come from an earlier source. Mm-hmm. Bob had an explanation, though, for why he was at first silent and kind of cold towards the woman. Mm. It's because he wanted to make sure that she truly wanted to be free. <laughs> Of her daughter's demon. Even though I think Jesus in that passage said essentially like, hey, I don't do things for non-Jews because she was the daughter Mm. of a Canaanite woman. We learned in our Sunday school flannel graphs that, you know, there was a (laughs) lot of angst between the Canaanites and the Jews. So Bob pulled another theological point out of that, that to be truly cleansed, your focus needs to be on Christ not on your suffering, not on your malady. It can't just be uh, like, oh, I'm uncomfortable, make me feel better. It has to be like, I know you are Christ, the son of God, I believe in you. It has to be about me somehow. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. So he was a real jerk in this passage. So I'm looking at Matthew 15. So a Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. 
Jesus answered, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. See, look at that. He's saying, oh, mm. she's not Jewish. I'm not going to. Oh, interesting. I was sent, I was sent to the lost oh, sheep of like Israel. Oh, like explaining. Oh, interesting. Because I took your interpretation is probably correct. But the way I took that when you initially read it is, well, don't tell me to send her away. I'm here to deal with those who are lost and seeking. Yeah, I think he's very clearly saying like, this is not my Because Israel, yeah. Not my watch. But here it, it says it even more. So the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Oh, right. You know what? And I remember reading this and being like, I don't understand at all. But now with this framing, Mm. it makes sense that it's it's a xenophobic thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, it is, Lord. She said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Yeah, also give the dogs some crumbs anyway. So then Jesus says to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. How do we know? Yeah. They didn't have. He's just making her go away. They didn't have precise timekeeping devices. He's just making her go away. And also, I don't like this anti-dog talk. Let your dogs eat from your table every once in a while. They deserve it. So there we go. I thought Bob had a very convenient workaround for that. He's saying uh, Jesus wasn't really racist toward her or thought that she was a dog, which was a real insult at the time. He was just merely expressing the views of his contemporaries. Oh. (laughs) If you say it, uh, you kind of own it there. What? He's just hypothetically saying this is what someone else might say. (laughs) Uh, you're Jesus. You're supposed to be setting an example. Give me a break. So uh, so Bob was taking from this the, kind of the broader point. The modern church suffers from a lack of humility. This woman had a lot of humility. And that the modern church's lack of humility causes it not to take exorcism seriously. Mm. You know, we're missing out on something that would heal a lot of ails that we are ignoring as a church. I, I say we. There are a lot of things I would say about Bob. I think he's a great entertainer. I think he's very savvy. Humble isn't the first thing that comes to mind. Mm, mm -hmm. It's not top of list. Fair. Bob also says you have to be persistent to get free. These demons were likely covenant demons, deeply entrenched. And then he says, when I deal with people of African descent, I know I'm in for a battle. Excuse me? That's what he said. What was the context? He's talking about how you have to be persistent, and sometimes these demons are deeply entrenched. I see. So he's saying, when I know I've got someone of African descent, I'm really, really in for a battle. He says that there's like human and animal sacrifices. And oh my God, these, this is just racist. These demons are here because of a blood covenant. Oh my God. This is just racist. Thought you might be interested in that particular Bob drop. I mean, if you have white people in America, if you're going to go with this like generational thing, wouldn't me being the descendants of colonialists, yeah, there's, there's colonizers, which not th- that matter? Well, he would agree, actually. He would say that, yes, that's part of your demonic makeup. Uh-huh. So he has little stories for people from Germany. Sure. And... And Wales or wherever. He'll get into that in a later module. Okay. But then to single out this one group in this context still makes it sound like, but that situation's the worst one. Right. Well, he's talking know? about these deeply entrenched demons. He's like, oh, let me make a point about the Africans. Yeah. Those are God. some deeply entrenched demons. Yikes, Bob. Um, and there was evening and there was morning, the sixth module. All right. Well, I'm still not totally convinced that exorcisms ever happen. So I'm going to need module seven, which is the story of the deaf mute epileptic man that Jesus 
performed an exorcism on in the book of Matthew. Let's do it. So apparently, Jesus' disciples had already come across this man without him. He had been off napping or something. Okay. And they were not able to heal him. But then when Jesus comes and sees him, he heals him very easily. They're like, boss, you taught us how to do this. We tried. We messed it up. Make it better. Yeah. Can you do it? He does it. And then they pull him aside and they're like, what did you do differently? Like, we did the exact same thing. We did exactly what you tell us to do. Yeah. Give us inspiring encouragement. And he explains, you didn't have enough faith. Faithless generation, he calls them. Wow. Rude. He was kind of a jerk. Rude. He had some bad moments. Rude. Truly. Uh, If he was as written, which probably not. Yeah, so whenever we refer to the statements of Jesus, we are referring to the alleged attributed statements of Jesus. So then Bob explains demons react to Jesus's presence. And so he has to be truly present in you, the exorcist. And Bob says, and you know, people ask me this all the time. How come when you enter a room, <laughs> spirits just come to the fore? Suddenly people mm-hmm. get possessed where we didn't even know they were possessed. <laughs> right. And I'm thinking, I can think of a cultural explanation for that. But Bob has a different explanation. Ah, mm-hmm. It's that the spirit of Jesus is so strong in Bob. It riles up uh, the demons. Yeah, exactly. And the demonstrated power of his exorcisms that, yeah, the demons see him and they kind of put on their fighting gloves. What's your other Carrie interpretation? That there is some cultural expectation when Bob walks into a room and you're like, oh, it's the guy who performs exorcisms. Wearing a priest collar and carrying a cross. Yes. And putting anointing oil on people's heads. Yeah, to be a little less cheeky about it than I have been in this this town. I'm going to bring it down to this town. I, I don't mean to say that all those people are fake. It. I think some are, some are having a great time. But I think the majority are just sort of acting out something the same way that people do with hypnosis mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. anything else. Or, or uh, glossolalia, speaking in tongues, yeah. where just the surrounding context sort of brings out the story in your own subconscious that you act out. Right. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's interesting when Jesus is giving his disciples a hard time for not being able to drive out the demon. This is where he says that famous line, well, it was because you had so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) Yeah, do it. Yeah. Yeah, do it, Jesus. Yeah, because you haven't moved any mountain. Because you, your faith is uh, much bigger than a mustard seed, yeah. so uh, let's move that mountain. Uh, can you just like even move like a hill? Yeah, just it's like a, a bump. That's all we ask. Maybe just a really heavy log without touching it. So always interesting to find out when some of these statements are spoken in the context of it, a demon. Mm-hmm. Bob uh, leads us through a few other stories and lays down some kind of important aspects of exorcism that we'll unpack in great detail later. So course eight. Cool. Yes, module eight, or as I like to call it, the pigs that ran straight away into the water and there. Great triumph! All right. I feel like this will be a very interesting story for Carrie. I call it that because that's the beginning of a Mountain Goats song. Oh, is it? Nice. Yeah, it's a great one, too. Everybody go look that up. Oh, there's goats, there's pigs. You don't know the Mountain Goats very well, right? Not very well. I bought a couple of their albums, listened to them, liked them. Because there's a lot of biblical imagery in John Darnielle's writings. Nice. Yeah. Anyway, this is that story we mentioned earlier. And actually, I hadn't really boned up on the origin of the story until... We were reading this. Oh, okay. 
And I forgot how horrific it is. So it's this man who's like wandering in a cemetery. He's wandering in and out of tombs. He's been sort of like babbling, talking to himself. It sounds like some serious illness he's dealing with. And to fix this, the townspeople try to chain him to a wall multiple times. Well, you know, you work with what you got. And then when he breaks away, probably because he's starving, they're like, see, it's demons. How could he break those chains? And this so this is why it's nice to be alive now. <laughs> At least better. We, yes. We've got problems now, but it sucked even more to live back then. That's true. So they go to Jesus and they're like, please help us with the cemetery babbler mm-hmm. because we keep trying to chain him up and that's not working. And instead of Jesus being like, you guys. You what? You're <laughs> imprisoning the poor, mentally ill man who does nothing except wanders around a cemetery? Just leave him alone! <laughs> He's like, yeah. I got you. Maybe he was wandering into town causing problems. Maybe he attacked somebody. He wanders in and out of tombs. That's all I've been told. And supposedly he had great strength as well. Because he broke the chains. I mean, sure. I'm how, doing how, the masturbation motion. <laughs> how good were their chains back then? <laughs> exactly. And so... Jesus is like, don't worry, guys, I'll take care of this. Sounds like you've done all the right things so far. So he goes up to the guy and he's like, are you possessed? And the demons are like, yeah, we've possessed him. There's a bunch of us and we're called Legion. And instead of being like, wow, cool name. He's (laughs) like, I'm Jesus and I command you all to get out of him and go into these poor pigs over here. These 30 to 50 feral hogs who are just hanging out. (laughs) Go in them. He makes the spirits go in the hogs. And then they run into the water and drown themselves. Everyone in this story is terrible except for the pigs and cemetery babbling guy. Well, they didn't eat pigs. So I guess for them, this was no big whoop. But yeah, you always feel bad for the animal, like Balaam's yeah. donkey. Yeah, like Balaam's donkey, yeah, 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 yeah. Remember the one who talked? No, uh-uh. Oh. Is this in the Bible? Yeah, talking donkey. A talking donkey, like Shrek. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Came first in the Bible. Huh, cool. I won't uh, fall down that rabbit hole. Okay. <laughs> but rabbits are in the Bible. Just kidding. They probably they are. are. I'm sure they are. Yeah. I was just trying to get us to another tangent. Gotcha. <laughs> so then, in case you're still like, I don't know, Ross and Carrie... Mm-hmm. Maybe Bob Larson made up exorcism. Wait a minute. There's module nine. We will cast out that misconception. <laughs> module nine called exorcism in Johannine writings. Is that how you say that? Johannine? Johannine. Johannine. Meaning of John. Yes. Right. Uh, written by him. Yeah. Which includes not just John, uh, but also first, second and third John and his letters. And then, of course, many people would include Revelation. I disagree. Whoa. Don't think that was written by the same guy. Exciting. I take. call that author John of Patmos. Ah, I call that come, author high. Come at me, bro. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Just speaking of that last demoniac uh-huh. at Gadara, Bob was saying that he's seen a 100 pound woman that six, seven, or even eight men could not control. Oh, wow. Did you take a picture even? Yeah, right. He's seen 14 men try to subdue a guy who was throwing them around like matchsticks. Four brawny men trying to control a five-foot woman. He's seen a male bodybuilder holding on for eight hours to a slight 100-pound woman. Um, Eight hours? That's what he said. Uh, These exorcisms can take a long time. So uh, Bob was making the point that supernatural strength can just be, you know, mind-blowing. Okay. 
And and he said it, it could be an indication of possession. You think? Yeah. <laughs> At least if you're believing that worldview. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. You hear similar stories about people under the influence of drugs. Or, sure. or you hear stories about, you know, mothers whose children are That's true. pinned under a car or something uh, like that. Also, I mean, there's something to be said for, what is it? Momentum, I guess. Like adrenaline, right? Adrenaline, yes, momentum. But like someone throwing their limbs around right. is very hard to stop unless you are willing to do the same things with your body. Mm-hmm. Then you might subdue them just through tiring them out and bloodying them up. Right. They but if be, you're not willing to do that, you're going to be holding tight. They and, could be naturally arriving at judo, throwing you off your balance, whether you're strong or not. They, yeah. They could be doing applied kinesiology mm-hmm. to you. Yeah. While they they're could. possessed by <laughs> demons. Um, so all that to say, even though there's these interesting stories about people showing superhuman amounts of strength, I don't think there's ever been a story of them actually breaking physics. Right. Physics still reigns supreme. Right, 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 right. As for me and my house, we will observe physics. (laughs) So, okay, module nine. The book of John does not refer to exorcisms, but in a way that proves Bob's point. Of course. Of course it does. Because that's not what that book was for. Okay. That book was about clarifying stuff that was missing in the other three. Sure. Yeah, I feel like this is a little bit of hand-wringing. Yeah. But okay, I'll, I'll follow. I feel like at this point he's like, ooh, I need 10, though. Gotta have 10 modules. Yeah, John is weird in some other ways. Like, I think it's John 7. It says that a bunch of people left Jesus. They stopped following him because they found out that he wasn't born in Bethlehem. <laughs> That. And Good yeah, the, I would have been those. That's that would have been me. That's one of my favorite passages to point out to people. Like, oh look, this group found out. Oh, he wasn't born in Bethlehem, like the prophecies foretold, yeah. and and that's why the other books had to pretend that he was, and they made up these completely different stories that don't gel together. Where and is that? John seven. Here, let me look okay. it up. It's one of my favorite. Like, hey, did you ever notice this? <laughs> Being real fun with uh, Thanksgiving dinner. Like three years after I left the faith. That was real fun to talk to about the Bible. I had all (laughs) kinds of fun little stories like that. But it's interesting. That does remind me of, you know, we hear of people leaving their faiths a lot. People like email us their stories and whatnot. And of course, you see them on TV and, and stuff. And so often it will be this one little thing that kind of breaks it for them mm-hmm. that for everyone else is a pretty minor detail, but it just happens to be like the positioned linchpin. at the right moments was just the right part of their faith. The to domino break. that hits everything else. Yeah. yeah. And so it feels like, what? You weren't born in Bethlehem. Uh-huh. What? And so, so for a certain segment, well, that's it. Here you go. John 7, starting at 41. Others said, he is the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does Mm -hmm. not the scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. And then someone else is like, okay, we're going to write that he was from Bethlehem. But okay, they're going to be able to check the ledgers and they're going to see he wasn't. So, okay, okay, all the inns were full. Just every goddamn one was full. And then they had to go, well, where did they have to go? Because even then, we're going to have to say where he went. Okay, what about like a 
barn? I don't know, somewhere that you wouldn't expect a record of him to be. Let's say, let's say there was a census, and so his family had to go back to the place of their ancient ancestor's birth. That Is makes that sense. Is that how that works? And I don't know, who was legate of Syria around that time? Oh, was it Quirinius? Oh, did we get that wrong? Was that actually the wrong time? And he wouldn't have, he wasn't legate of Syria at the same time oh, that geez, Herod was actually the ruler of, yeah, there's oh, like, wow. yeah, when you look into these things, you're like, oh, none of this matches up. Oops. Oh, no. Like, yeah, Herod had died like nine years or something before this guy supposedly created the census. Mm. Anyway. This is something my old boss used to call the lie that tells the greater truth. <laughs> there, there we go. Yeah, don't quote me on the exact time problem there, but it was something like that. Sorry, that's just me geeking out. There's a lot we could say about John. There's a lot Bob said about John, but we'll move on. <laughs> Finally, we get to Module 10. Module 10 is titled... Post-Constantine Exorcism. Yes. So Emperor Constantine, of course, you know him, you love him. He popularized Christianity to the wider world. Mm -hmm. All because he saw a symbol in his vision and then he won a battle. So he's like, well, I guess Christ Protector is the one I serve now. Even though Constantine himself didn't actually become a Christian until on his deathbed. Oh, is that true? Yeah. Oh, cool. But he made it the state religion for everybody else. So... After Jesus leaves, he's going to be right back. The early church continued to do exorcisms for quite some time. Mm -hmm. This is a very common refrain you hear in modern Christianity, which is, even if something's not clear, we can at least look to the early church after Jesus's parting. Mm. Well, what did they do? Because that'll tell us like what we're supposed to be doing now still waiting for Jesus to yeah, come back. There is so much emphasis within the modern Christian church on how do we get back to the communal living and the sharing of Jesus's time, which you think would make them more uh, pro-socialism, but whatever. True. But, you know, we want to get back to the times of the early church and the organization of the early church, to which my mind always thinks, well, clearly that wasn't sustainable because uh -huh. it went away. True. Although also early church appears to mean to a lot of people... Lots of guitars, lots of camping. <laughs> okay. I feel like whenever so I hear about like, well, we just really hold to early church values. I just I immediately picture like people in flannels sitting around. One guy's playing guitar, maybe two. Yeah, you've got it right. There are like eight of you. And he might have all, grown a beard. Yeah, 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 you're all reading the Bible to each other. Mm -hmm. And I mean, to be fair, you're probably a lot cooler than a lot of other people churches but yeah those are my kind of christians yeah for the sure guitar playing flannel wearing beard yeah. toting early church seeking christians i'm learning the banjo yeah you are yeah so yeah early church leaders kept up exorcisms and we were never supposed to stop but it just sort of fell out of vogue okay now it's back baby yeah he starts with early kind of pre-constantine people. He goes through them again. So if you want to learn all about Justin Martyr, Tatian, Irenaeus, Tertullian, Origen, you should take this course. You can learn mm. all about these things that they said about demons. But then after the ascendancy of the church to power, that was the inverse relationship, the decline of exorcism. And the church sort of fell into complacency. And there was sort of this undercurrent of exorcism 
but it just, it wasn't common everyday practice. Bob talks about the uh, Middle Ages. There was a revival of interest, but an over-interest in the devil and the use of torture. Mm. Uh, Bob often likes to point <laughs> the to over-interest. The, yeah. Um, uh, that's what I wrote. Some interest is okay. But yeah, let's- Don't get overboard with it. Yeah, let's not ascribe everything to the devil. And or you know- torture people. Bob will be very quick to say the Inquisition, not a great thing. Wow, way to stand up, Bob. Yeah, way to take a stand. And so he'll say, you know, they used it just to persecute enemies. This was not good. Sure. Um, he then- talks about the Reformation, how Luther included a ritual for exorcism in his pamphlets for worship services. It was used in baptism. But then when we get to the Roman Catholic Church developing the ritual Romanum in 1614, that's when we really got to this, I think, I don't know, Bob would say golden era of exorcism, you know, where we, now we have an approach. Now it's more systematized. Now it's part Mm -hmm. of the church. And it was very strong for a long time. And it was only in more recent years that it was kind of weakened where they made it so that only bishops and above could even perform exorcism. And you needed a referral from a bishop and there was a lot of red tape. But Bob always does credit the Roman Catholic Church, at least for keeping the tradition alive. And... That's true. I didn't know this. The Church of England requires an exorcist in every diocese, Hmm. technically. But he said, but there isn't one. Not even close to it. They don't act on it or follow their own guidelines. Oh, okay. And he says in the Eastern Orthodox Church, exorcism is somewhat common. Lutheranism includes it as part of the baptism in their books. He pointed to a Methodist source saying the casting out of an objective power of evil, which is gaining possession of a person. That's how they describe an exorcism. So he said, yeah, great for the Methodists, but how many Methodist exorcists do you know? Touche. Yeah, how many exorcists do you know, period? Mm, Fair. Mm. So he calls out the cessationists again. Those who say that we don't need exorcism anymore. And he says, Christ prophesied that as in the days of Noah, it would be at the end. If we are near the end, don't we need exorcism and power encounters now more than ever? We need to use the truths of the ancient traditions of exorcism to confront the evil of today's demonic forces. We need to confront evil the way they did in the church with boldness and in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. A biblical foundation is essential to understanding exorcism. So he sums up this whole first level, all 10 courses, and says the conclusions are that exorcism is historic. Uh-huh. It's apostolic. Yep. It's essential. Mm-hmm. It was common. Yep. <laughs> it's biblical. Uh-huh. And it's necessary for the times in which we live. All right, listener. Is it fair to say you can summarize this whole level with people have always done them? People have always done exorcisms. Pretty much. Yeah. Oh, Bob, you can really drag it out. I am looking at this churchofengland.org document, and I did notice one thing Bob would strongly disagree with. Okay. It says that exorcisms should all be done with a minimum of publicity. Oh, hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Not that he's saying, you know, he endorses everybody's version of exorcism, so. I feel like Bob would at least say he's happy that exorcisms are being done, whether they're in the limelight or not. Mm -hmm. Elsewhere, he does kind of acknowledge that, yeah, this is a little unconventional, that I'm doing it on stages and in hotel conference rooms and stuff. That's like the admonition for people to pray quietly. Right, in a closet. (laughs) Yeah. I think I've mentioned this before, but like my mom had her prayer closet and she'd tell everybody about it, how much time she'd (laughs) spent in her prayer closet. (laughs) That's so funny. Mom, you're missing the the point point. is not to make a big deal about it. (laughs) 
Did she have a special closet dedicated to that? Well, she had a walk-in closet (laughs) for her clothes, and she spent a lot of time in there praying. That was her prayer closet. Yeah. Mom's a real character. Yeah. Uh, There we go. So I hope you all feel very, I don't know, quickened of spirit and ready to fight the demons. (laughs) Well, Ross... Let me ask you, live and on air, with the listener listening in, okay. I want to tell you about some of the Bob literature I've been reading, but what if we split this up? We go level one, some reading, level two, some reading, level three. You get me? I like we'll it. we kind of it up. What do you think? Yeah, no, that's a good plan. Well, that's it for our show. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. Our editor is Victor Figueroa. You can support this and all our investigations by going to MaximumFun.org forward slash join. By the way, I keep meaning to mention the reason we finally started this series is because that was one of our Max Fun, yeah. Max Fun Drive pledges. Yeah. Is that uh, if you could get us to, I can't remember which uh, level it was, we would release our longest standing investigation. Yeah. And I would have found many more ways to put it off. Yeah, that really did quicken our release. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I so would have jumped on other things that we've been doing. So- Thank you, listeners, for getting us there, for supporting us, for making this podcast possible. And now you're hearing about Bob Larson because of it. And I exercise you all from a distance. Boy, that was easy. So easy. And I'm a certified exorcist, so... Why didn't we just do that? It's done. You can also support the show by telling your friends. We love hearing stories about people turning us on during a car ride, a, a, a road trip, sharing the podcast with your mom, your intended or someone else important to you. We yeah, really appreciate that. We do. Or you can spell out on rack on your belly with sunscreen and then lay out in the sun and get a nice tan right around it. Hmm. It's just one way to support the show. You encouraging people to get... Uh, they should be careful. Yeah, don't It should get be burnt. like you put sunscreen everywhere, but then you put an extra <laughs> layer where you write on rack. <laughs> okay. A uh, few. And remember... Remember... She came from a culture that practiced infanticide, human sacrifice. Well, those are what we call blood covenant demons. They are among the most powerful. You know, when I'm dealing with people of African descent, I know I'm in for a battle. Because trace it back far enough, and there were human and animal sacrifices, either, sometimes both. And those demons are harder to get out because they are there because of a blood covenant. Listen, I'm a hotshot Hollywood movie producer. You have until I finish my glass of kombucha to pitch me your idea. Go. All right. It's called Who Shot Ya, a movie podcast that isn't just a bunch of straight white dudes. I'm Ify Whitey the new host of the show and a certified BBN. BBN? Buff black nerd. I'm Alonzo Duraldi, an elderly gay and legit film critic who wrote a book on Christmas movies. I'm Drea Clark, a loud white lady from Minnesota. Each week, we talk about a new movie in theaters and all the important issues going on in the film industry. It's like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner meets Cruising. And if it helps seal the deal, I can flex my muscles while we record each episode. I'm sorry, this is a podcast? I'm a movie producer. How did you get in here? Iffy, quick, start flexing. Bicep, lats, chest. 
Who Shot You? Dropping every Friday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. I, I can remember as, as a child thinking it was odd that here was this can full of meat. I'm Jesse Thorne. This week on my show Bullseye, David Letterman on shame, regret, and canned hams. Is this the best delivery version of, of pork? That's this week on Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.